So today then we have the hadith of Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas radiyallahu anhu qal ilhadu li lahdan wansibu ala al-labani nasba fama suni'a bi rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam rawahu muslim In this hadith Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas radiyallahu anhu who was one of the earlier Muslims in Islam, from the early Muslims, from the Muhajireen, and of course one of the ten who was given the glad tidings of paradise in amongst the ten that are mentioned. And there are more than just ten, but those are the famously known as the ten. He is one of them. And he is also one of the uncles of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam walahum min al-fadail al-khayr al-kathir al-khayr al-kathir awsa inda wafatihi bi an yulhada lahu lahda wa an yunsab alayhi al-laban kama suni'a bi rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam so Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas radiyallahu anhu had made a request that for his grave, the lahad should be dug out. And that is like we said, when you dig out the grave, then there is another slight section that is dug out in the direction of the qibla within the grave. You dig out the grave, then within the grave you make a further digging out, a smaller section, and that is where the body is placed. That can be either to the side at the bottom, or within the bottom place, another dig is made where the body is placed. So the lahad, Islamically when the grave is dug, this lahad is dug. That is for example then when you dig down and you make the grave. Then at the bottom, to the side you dig out a little bit, in the direction of the qibla. Or in the bottom of the grave, you dig out within that. So the bottom of the grave, you dig out a further hole, a smaller hole in the hole of the grave. And then within that, the body is placed. وَهُنَاكَ نَوْعٌ آخَرٌ وَهُوَ الشَّقُّ وَهُوَ أَنْ يُحْفَرْ أُخْدُودٌ فِي قَاعِ الْقَبْرِ بِقَدْرِ الْمَيِّتِ ثُمَّ يُسَدُّ عَلَيْهِ مِنْ فَوْقِهِ قَسَّطْحِ so two ways the shaykh says, either at the bottom of the grave you dig to the side then and the body goes into that gap and then it's filled in or at the bottom of the grave you dig another smaller section to the size of the actual body where it goes in and then it's filled in from above that. 
ثم يوضع الحصى الصغار من خلاله ثم يسد بالطين زيادة على ذلك حتى يحكم السد فلا ينهال شيء من التراب على جسم الميت هذا معنى انصبوا علي اللبن So Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas had said to them place upon me like the bricks or the stones So when you bury somebody into that side part or into the bottom part directly next to their body or above their body initially is going to be some stones or something solid of that nature. Then on top of that all the soil goes. So the soil does not go directly onto the body of the person. He's buried in that gap and then something solid is placed above him, stones or something of that nature. Nowadays they use the big type of slabs. And then on top of that, the soil is placed. And that is what he mentioned in this hadith. He had made a request that this is how they should dig his grave, just as they had done like that for the Prophet wasallam. Then there is an extra part mentioned in this next narration of Al-Bayhaqi عن جابر from Jabir He said رُفِعَ قَبْرُهُ عَنِ الْأَرْضِ قَدْرَ شِبْرِنَ That his grave, the burial was raised up from ground level to a handspan worth. It was above the ground level his grave a handspan worth. فهذا فيه دليل على أنه يشرع في قبور المسلمين مثل هذا أن تلحد وأن يصب عليها اللبن أن ينصب عليها اللبن حتى تصد وأن تدفن في ترابها ترفع عن الأرض ليعلم أنها قبور وترفع عن الأرض ولكن قدر الشبر فقط لا يزاد على ذلك So when the burial occurs and you put the soil on, filling that grave, you don't fill it level to the rest of the ground around it. You fill it and then carry on filling it to make it a mold to the size of a handspan worth above the rest of the ground level. That is to identify that this mound here is a grave. If you were to fill it in identical to the rest of the ground level, people would walk and not realize this is a grave. So you fill it to the ground level and then carry on a bit more to give it a bit of a mound on top of ground level, but only to the size of a handspan worth. You don't keep filling it to make it high, only up to a handspan worth. لأن رفعها قيد شبر يحصل به المقصود وهو بيان محارم القبر And that is in order for that area now to be recognized that it is a grave and somebody is buried there So it's slightly like a mound above the rest of the ground level And also it will be recognized as a grave so that it's not dug up again People will recognize to leave a space now, this area here is clearly a grave. So due to those types of reasons, when filling in the grave, burying somebody, 
you allow the soil to go above ground level up to the handspan worth. لِأَنَّ هَذِهِ صِفَةُ قَبْرِ النَّبِي صَلَى اللَّهِ وسلم وَهُوَ الْقُدْوَةِ Because that is exactly how the grave of the Prophet وسلم, was and he is the example to follow. وَلَا يَخْتَارُ اللَّهُ لِنَبِيِّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وسلم إِلَّا الْأَفْضَلِ And Allah would not choose something to occur for the Prophet وسلم, except that it is the best thing to do. So that is the way the graves are done. And you do not build it up higher than a handspan worth. If you go higher than that, you have gone into the haram. Filling it up, filling it up to make it a huge mound beyond a handspan, then you have gone into the haram. Because that is actually prohibited, and we're going to come to some hadith which explain the prohibition of building it up above a handspan. We come to this next narration now of Jabir also reported by Muslim. Naha Rasulullah In this hadith, the Prophet forbade us from doing three things at the graves. In this hadith, the Prophet forbade us from doing three things at the grave. Number one, an yujassas. Bima'ana yubayyad biljus wa yujammal. To beautify that grave. Using these days how people do all types of marble and everything and building all types of things on it. Wall around it and marble and everything. Beautifying it in that way is prohibited. Beautifying the grave, here it mentions yubayyad biljis. In those days they would, uh, like white marble, how you have now, they would whiten it with certain materials. So to beautify the grave and to build all these uh, marble edges to it and everything how people do these days, that is prohibited. It is prohibited to make that some type of beautiful, uh, something to look at, uh, going almost into the levels of it becoming some type of shrine then. So you don't beautify the grave. Because beautifying a grave can lead to the haram, it can lead to exaggeration and excessiveness at the grave. Because when the people see a magnificently beautified grave, marble all around and marble edges and walls and everything. People are going to assume this was some pious man. And so people become, uh, they fall into exaggeration and extremism when it comes to these types of things that they see. So the first prohibition here is the prohibition of beautifying the graves. Making them beautiful and building all types of things around them, it is prohibited in Islam. Uh,
Also, it mentions in the hadith that it is not permissible to build upon a grave. Building upon it includes headstones. Headstones in the loving memory of X, Y, and Z, beloved father born such and such, died such and such, X, Y, and Z on this tombstone. Haram in Islam. That is not done Islamically. All these graveyards now, Muslim graveyards, you go and everyone's got this huge tomb on it in the loving memory of our father, such and such, born and died, such and such. Imitation of the kuffar. That is not the Muslim way of burial. So these tombstones and all of the rest of the build-up around the grave and the walls and the corners and into this rectangle and marble and all these things that are done is impermissible. So beautifying the grave is the first prohibition. Building upon the grave is the second prohibition. Building upon it includes building the tombstones on top of it. Headstones and tombstones with the names and loving memory and dates of birth, etc. and death. That is impermissible. It is not from Islam to do so. And the third prohibition mentioned here, وَلَا يُقْعَدْ عَلَيْهِ أَنْ يُقْعَدَ عَلَيْهِ To sit on top of a grave, to sit down on top of the actual grave area, it is impermissible to sit on top of a grave. And that is to preserve the honor of the deceased. To preserve the honor of the deceased, you don't come and sit on top of his body, on top of his burial place. So those three things have been made haram. To beautify the grave. Grave is a grave. It is not for beautification to make into any type of shrine. Building all around it and making it into something special. Prohibited in Islam. Secondly, to build upon it tombstones and headstones and all those types of things, haram. And thirdly, to sit on top of a grave, also impermissible. Islamically, what do you do then? You're allowed to bury the person, build up the soil above ground level up to a hand span, and you can put down some type of rock, some type of stone to identify where the head of the burial is, and that is it. It is buried, the soil is like a mound above the ground level, so you know this is a grave, and you have some type of rock there just to identify, and that's it. That is how the burials are. And if you see the graveyard next to the masjid of the Prophet wasallam, known as the graveyard of... What's the graveyard called? Next to the Prophet's mosque. Al-Baqi'ah. Al-Baqi'ah, if you see Al-Baqi'ah, that's exactly what you will see. The mounds of the soil with a rock at the front, and that's it. No tombstones, no all this writing and loving memory and dates of death and birth and all those things. None of this beautification, it is haram in Islam. You can put some type of marking on it just to identify. In some countries I've heard, in some Muslim countries, they just put a number on it. So you identify which one is your grave, and that's it. But all these names and dates, no. There's a number on the thing, huh? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, three prohibitions there in that hadith. Then after that, عن Uthman رضي الله عنه قال 
كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا فرغ من دفن الميت وقف عليه وقال استغفروا لأخيكم وسلوا له التثبيت فإنه الآن يسأل In this hadith it now mentions that when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in fact before that one we missed one the hadith before that of Amir ibn Rabi'ah radiyallahu anhu anna al-Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam salla ala Uthman ibn Mad'un wa ata al-Qabr fahatha alayhi thalatha hathayat wa huwa qa'im that the Prophet ﷺ prayed the janazah prayer upon Uthman ibn Mad'un. Not the Khalifa, but Uthman ibn Mad'un. And then when he came to the grave, he got three handfuls of the soil and he threw them upon that grave whilst he was standing. Threw three handfuls upon the grave. Uh, so in this hadith it talks about the death of Uthman ibn Mad'un radiyallahu anhu, one of the companions from the Muhajireen. He died in the early stages of when the Prophet ﷺ arrived in Medina. And when Uthman ibn Mad'un died, the Prophet ﷺ cried and kissed him. Uh, and then he prayed the janazah upon him after they'd done all the uh, rituals, the shrouding, etc., the washing. So then a uh, rock was placed on top of his grave so that it would be known that this is the grave of Uthman ibn Mad'un and so that if anybody wanted to visit him, that grave, then it would be known where this grave is. But the point of the narration here is that the Prophet ﷺ took three handfuls of the soil and threw them upon the burial. And the point of that hadith is to highlight that this is a sunnah, it is something good to do. That when you're at the burial, to get three handfuls worth and throw them upon the burial as it occurs. Uh, and those three handfuls, they are full handfuls. So it is actually that you take them as a full handful, and then another full handful of your both hands, and another full handful of your both hands. Three full handfuls that you put onto that burial of the soil yourself. So to participate in the burial of a person with three handfuls worth of soil onto the burial, that is something good. And it is something mustahab that a Muslim should participate in if possible. So you have the reward of participating in the burial if you do that, in concealing and covering up the body of that Muslim. Uh, and if you then carry on beyond three handfuls, you do more, there's no problem in that. But the participation of three handfuls worth is something which is good, just as the Prophet ﷺ did in the burial of Uthman ibn Mad'un. Then after that is the hadith that we came to just now, that after the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa used to finish burying someone, 
when somebody died and they've done the prayer and they've gone and buried that person. After the Prophet ﷺ had finished burying an individual, he would stand at the grave. Wouldn't just bury, finish and walk off. He would stand. And then he would say to the people, seek forgiveness for your brother. Seek forgiveness for the deceased. Istaghfiru li akhikum. And ask Allah to give him firmness, to give him to be established and grounded at this moment. Because at this moment, he is being given the questions of the grave. So in this narration, it mentions that when the Prophet ﷺ would finish burying someone, he would stand and he would say to everyone, seek forgiveness for him, the deceased. Ask Allah to forgive him, have mercy upon him. And ask Allah to give him strength at this time, because at this time he is now being questioned in the grave. And that is when the two angels, they come, Al-Munkar wa nakir and they do what is known as Fitnatul Qabr, the trial of the grave, where the person is going to be asked, Man Rabbuka wa ma dinuka wa man nabiyuka? Who is your Lord? What is your religion? And who is your prophet? So this indicates that those people who go to the burial, when the burial is done, you don't just leave. When the burial is finished now, all the soil is on, you don't just walk off. After the burial is done, you're supposed to stand at the grave, wait there. Stay there and make dua for this deceased person. So you don't just walk off as soon as the soil is done. You stay, stand, and make dua for that deceased person. Ask Allah to forgive him. Ask Allah to have mercy on him. And ask Allah to give him firmness and strength at that time now because he is now being questioned in the grave. لِأَنَّ الْمَيِّتِ ذَا وُضِعَ فِي قَبْرِهِ وَفُرِغَ مِنْ دَفْنِهِ وَانْصَرَفَ النَّاسُ عَنْهُ حَتَّى إِنَّهُ لَيَسْمَعْ قَرَعَ نِعَالِهِمْ That when a person is buried, and then you've made the dua, etc., now you're going to be walking away. In the narration it mentions that when the people walk away, the deceased in the grave hears their footsteps walking away now. Buried him, they've done everything, dua, etc. Now they're leaving. As they walk away, it's mentioned the deceased in the grave hears their footsteps walking away. Then the two angels, they come to him. Those two angels are now there. They sit him up in his grave and his soul is now returned into his body. The angels, they sit him up in his grave and that is now known as the life of the barzakh. The life of the barzakh. The barzakh in Arabic meaning the barrier between two things. So you have the life of this world and you have the afterlife. Between them is this place called barzakh. Because from this life you don't go straight to the afterlife. From this life you die, you're in your grave, you're in the barzakh. Up until the day of judgment occurs, then you're resurrected and in the afterlife. So from this world, you move on to your grave, you're, when you die, when you die, you're in what's known as barzakh. So in that barzakh, those 
angels, they come and they question that individual in his grave. They sit him up. The soul is now returned to that individual. And so he uh, is now alive in that sense, in the barzakh sense. And of course, that life and how he is then is not the same as how he was in this world. It's something unseen to us. You cannot put a camera into a grave, a grave of somebody who's just died and see this happening and the angels coming. You will not. Because all of that which occurs in the grave is from the unseen to us. So even if you put a camera in there, you won't see any of this happening. It is from the unseen to us. So the angels, they come and they sit him up and they face him and they ask him those questions. And so if he answers the questions correctly, then he is from the successful and he'll be from the happy. And if he's unable and he doesn't know anything about his Lord, doesn't know anything about his religion, doesn't know anything about Muhammad sallallahu then that is the person who will be from the uh, wretched. There's an ayah in the Qur'an which proves this questioning of the grave occurs. And that is the ayah where Allah mentions, يُثَبِّتُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِالْقَوْلِ الثَّابِتِ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make firm those who believe with an upright and firm statement in this world and in the hereafter. In this world, Allah will make you firm upon the straight path. In the hereafter, how will Allah make you firm? What does it mean? In the grave when you're getting your questions. Allah will make you firm there. Uh, and so those uh, angels, they will ask the person, who is your Lord and what is your religion and what is your uh, prophet? Who is your prophet? And the believer will answer correctly. And when the believer answers correctly, a caller will call out from the skies. Sadaqa abdi. My servant has spoken the truth. So lay out his grave for him from the layers of paradise. And open a door into paradise. And that his grave is expanded to the extent of his eyesight. His grave is expanded to the extent of his eyesight. So it's mentioned there, أَفْرِشُوهُ مِنَ الْجَنَّةِ That lay out for him as it is in paradise. اِفْتَحُوا لَهُ بَابًا مِنَ الْجَنَّةِ Open up a door into paradise. And it's mentioned when a person is in his grave, if he's from the righteous, then a door is opened up into paradise and the beauties of paradise come to him in the smells and he can see his place in paradise. And that's why the believer says to Allah, Ya Rabbi, aqim as-sa'ah. O oh my Lord, establish the hour. Allow the day of judgment to happen now because he wants to go and take his place in paradise. As for the wrongdoer, as the hadith goes on to mention, he will not be able to answer those questions. And so, for him, the opposite occurs. It is mentioned, afreshu lahu min nar Lay out for him as it is in hellfire. And a door to hellfire is opened up and his grave is squashed until his ribs, they crack. 
And this is what occurs to that wrongdoer. So the daughter paradise brings in all of the poison and the heat and he sees his place in her fire. And that's why he says, Ya Rabbi, la sa'a. Oh my Lord, do not establish the hour. Because he knows where he will end up in the hellfire once the hour is established. So that's why the Prophet said, after the burial is concluded, you don't just walk away, you stay there and you make dua for that person. Ask Allah to forgive him. Ask Allah to make him strong and established and grounded such that he can answer the questions accurately and properly when that questioning of the grave occurs for him. Mm. don't participate in any of the innovations. If somebody is being buried, some normal person, but the people around him, everybody are innovators and they are going to do all types of innovations that you have no control over. You don't participate in that, but you can go and witness the burial of this relative or whoever it might be and you make your dua and you implement the sunnah and everything that should be implemented. You do all of the sunnah and all of the things and leave Whatever innovations they're doing, if you have no control over it, then what can you do? You make your dua, you do as according to the sunnah what you're supposed to do and leave. And that's it. One thing though, after the person is buried, so then this narration says you're supposed to stand there, stay there, and make dua for that dead person. Ask Allah to forgive the deceased, ask Allah to make him strong when the questioning of the grave occurs. When you're making that dua, are you supposed to raise your hands and make that dua? Or is it just something as you're standing you make the dua? Shaykh Al-Fawzan says there's nothing in particular specifically mentioned about raising the hands at that time. Nothing in particular specifically mentioned that you're supposed to and you have to raise your hands. There are general evidences about raising the hands and making dua which could be used. But specifically there's nothing mentioning about raising the hands. This next hadith. عن Ibn Habib, Dhamra Ibn Habib was one of the tabi'een, one of the students of the companions. قال, he said, كانوا يستحبون إذا صوي على الميت قبره وانصرف الناس عنه أن يقال عند قبره يا فلان قل لا إله إلا الله ثلاث مرات يا فلان قل ربي الله وديني الإسلام ونبي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم. He says that they used to like and prefer that when the grave was done and the burial was done and the people had done uh, everything and now left that it should be said at the grave 
after everything's done and the people have gone, that you should say at the grave, Oh, such and such, whatever the name of the person is, say, La ilaha illallah, three times. And then say, Oh, such and such, say, My Lord is Allah, and my religion is Islam, and my prophet is Muhammad. That you say this to the deceased. You say to him, oh, such and such, say la ilaha illallah, say my religion is Islam, my Lord is Allah, my prophet is Muhammad. That you say that, you tell him to say that. That's what the hadith says. And that is obviously because those questions are the questions that he will now be facing. So this is in essence like a reminder to that person regarding those questions and the answers of those questions. However, what is the ruling on doing this? When you've buried someone, everybody's gone now, that you then say, oh, such and such, whatever his name is, say, la ilaha illallah. And then, oh, such and such, say, my Lord is Allah. Say, my religion is Islam. Say, my prophet is Muhammad. That you say this out loud as a reminder to the deceased. What's the ruling on it? So what are you saying? But we narrated a narration. What are you saying about the narration then? In that case you're saying this narration is... Yeah, the narration says, Rawahu Sa'id ibn Mansur marfu'an Indicating that it's from the Prophet as per the chain of narration. However, despite that, this hadith is not authentic. It is at the very best a weak hadith and some of the scholars have even said it's just absolutely fabricated. At the very best it's only a weak hadith in the best circumstance and some scholars have even said it's fabricated. So it is not an established hadith. You don't do that. You don't say to the dead person, say la ilaha illallah, say Allah is my Lord, religion is Islam, Prophet is Muhammad. You don't do that at the grave. The only thing which is proven is the previous narration. That you seek forgiveness for the person and you ask Allah to make him strong in the face of those questions. Then, عن ابن الحصيب الأسلمي رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم كنت نهيتكم عن زيارة القبور فزوروها رواه مسلم وزاد ترمذي فإنها تذكر الآخرة وزاد ابن ماجة من حديث ابن مسعود تزهد في الدنيا In this hadith the Prophet says, I used to prohibit you from visiting the graveyards. I used to prohibit you from visiting graves. In the early parts of Islam, in the original initial days of Islam, in the early stages of Islam, it was haram to go to the graves. Why? Why in the early stages of Islam, in those early times, it was a ruling that it's prohibited to go to the graves? It's 
Exactly. Because prior to Islam, one of the biggest issues of shirk was grave worship. So in the early days, the ruling was made, nobody go to the graves. To stop that outright, to stop that possibility of exaggeration or shirk or anything at the graves. So the Prophet says, I used to prohibit you from going to the graves. Obviously, this is now in the later stages of Islam when this hadith is being narrated. So the Prophet says to them, but now, but now, fazuruha, go and visit them. Because now they had got to the stage where they had understood aqidah, and they'd understood the issue of shirk and graves, and they knew that they weren't going to go commit shirk at the graves now. So now, once the aqidah had become learned and taught and established, the Prophet said to them, I used to prohibit you before, but now go. You can go to the graves. Why? Mentions in the narration of Tirmidhi, فَإِنَّهَا تُذَكِّرُ الْآخِرَةِ Because going to the graves, it reminds you of the hereafter. So go to the graves, you can go. Because it reminds you of the hereafter. That is what the narration mentions here. So, uh, it highlights the permissibility of visiting the graveyards. Highlights the permissibility of visiting the graveyards. It also highlights that in the early stages of Islam, because many of the people had just come out of Jahiliyyah, where shirk of the graves was a, a big thing. So uh, in order to prevent that and to stop that completely, to block that avenue from its very uh, roots, uh, visiting the graveyards was made impermissible until people then understood and became established in Aqidah. And then the ruling was abrogated that you are now allowed to go and visit because visiting the graveyards is something beneficial for you. It reminds you of the hereafter. And in one narration he says, What has had fit dunya? It'll make you less concerned with the worldly affairs. You won't be bothered about the luxuries of the world and trying to get the luxuries and the, and the money and the best house and the best car. You won't be bothered about those things when you go visit the graves. So there are benefits in going to the grave as a reminder regarding the hereafter. So the Prophet said, I used to prohibit you initially, uh, but now you can go visit the graves because it will remind you of the hereafter. Benefits from this hadith then, number one is the principle in Islam that You have the issue known as Saddu al-Dhara'i'ah or Saddu al-Dhari'ah. They call it or they mean by it blocking the path to some wrong. Going to the graveyards in of itself is it shirk. Just going to a graveyard is that shirk. No. So why did the Prophet ﷺ stop them from going? Because going there can lead to some people committing shirk. Going there, just going there isn't shirk. But some people go there and it leads on to them doing something which is actually shirk. Hence, the Prophet ﷺ, Islamically as a principle, stopped or made prohibited the act of visiting graves. Even though that in of itself isn't shirk. That in of itself isn't shirk. But it was made prohibited. 
because by prohibiting that you are then blocking off the route that leads to possible shirk so that's known as saddu dhari'ah blocking off the pathways that lead to something the actual pathway isn't haram going to the grave just going there isn't haram but it can lead on to shirk for many people hence you stop the actual pathway so people cannot even go to the graveyards let alone leading on to any shirk so they call that stopping something blocking a pathway which in of itself isn't haram but you block it anyway because then that stops people from getting to a point whereby they may lead on to committing some shirk so that is what occurred here the prophet ﷺ prevented them from going to the graveyards because that was something which led to shirk in the olden days but then afterwards once the aqidah became established they were allowed to go and the wisdom behind that was in order to remind them of death going to the graveyard to remind you of death to remind you of the hereafter so that is something uh, from the wisdom that was mentioned we do have the issue that we discussed last time though about women visiting graveyards and that is the very next hadith the hadith of abu huraira radiyallahu anhu anna rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama la'ana za'iratil qubur that the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam cursed the women who visit the graves cursed the women who visit the graves curse means what Does it mean that Allah cursed such and such? What is the curse of Allah? Anyone? To be distanced from the mercy of Allah. La'anatullah, it means that a person is taken away. Yutrad min rahmatillah. He is taken away and expelled from the mercy of Allah. So if you are taken out of and expelled from the mercy of Allah, then that is something severe. You are out of the mercy of Allah. That is something severe, severe. So here it says, the curse of Allah be upon the women who visit graves. The curse of Allah be upon the women who visit graves. This indicates also, therefore, that it is a major sin. Anytime you see the curse of Allah is upon the one who does X, Y, and Z, it is an indication that the particular act in reference is a major sin. So the curse of Allah be upon the women who visit the graves, according to the wording of the hadith, it is therefore a major sin for women to visit the graves because anytime you see the curse of Allah being mentioned it means that action is a major sin so this hadith would indicate that women visiting the graveyards is a major sin 
And that is because women are weak in their emotional state, weaker than men, and women may not be able to uh, emotionally control the affair when visiting the graves, and also because of fitna which may occur if there is men and women all at the graveyard. So there are various reasons behind it. Uh, regarding the impermissibility of women visiting the graveyards. There is an issue here though. That issue is that it is narrated that Aisha radiallahu anha used to visit the grave of the grave of her brother. It is mentioned that Aisha radiallahu anha used to visit the grave of her brother. That's narrated. It is also narrated, the hadith of Um Atiyah that we mentioned before, about not following the graves, but it was not something which was made definite upon us, indicating that they were allowed to do it if they wanted. So now you have these two issues. One narration saying Aisha radiallahu anha used to go to the grave of her brother. The other narration of Um Atiyah saying that we were allowed to follow or we were told not to follow but it was not made something obligatory that it is haram for you to go. So both of those narrations are indicating women can go to the graves. So what is the ruling? The hadith we've just done now says the curse of Allah upon the women who visit the graves. But Aisha radiallahu anha used to go. Um Atiyah says we were told not to but it wasn't made definite that you absolutely can't. So you could. So what is the ruling here? إِمَّا Of course like we said there are two opinions of the scholars. The scholars who say that it is haram for women to go altogether, how are they going to explain the narration of Aisha and Ma'atiyah? One thing they could say is that maybe this was just ijtihad from Aisha radiallahu anha and it's not the actual ruling for women. It was just her personal opinion, some ijtihad that she came to and she visited the graves. Maybe, maybe. The statement of Um Atiyah we mentioned already was her own statement. So maybe that was her interpretation of the ruling that it was not definitive and maybe actually the intent was that it is absolute. But her interpretation was that it's not absolute. So some of the scholars say that could just be put down to their personal interpretations, Aisha and Um Atiyah radiallahu anhuma, and you can't take a ruling from it. That's what some of them would say. And the reason they would say that and it would work is because here you have the interpretation of Aisha radiallahu anha going, the interpretation of Um Atiyah saying it wasn't definite though. And on the other side you have what? You have the statement of Abu Huraira that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said or that he cursed the women who go to the graves. 
That is absolutely clear from the Prophet ﷺ that he cursed the women who go to the graves. That's on one side. On the other side you have the ijtihad of Aisha and Ma'atiyah. What's going to get precedence? What's going to be given priority? No doubt the statement of the Prophet ﷺ. So in that case the scholars they say okay it's ijtihad of Aisha. Ijtihad of Umm Atiyah radiallahu anhuma, but we cannot override the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, which is clear curse be upon the women, or that the Prophet ﷺ cursed the women who visit the graveyards. Secondly, it could also be said that maybe women being allowed to visit the graves was something that was initially allowed and then this hadith came saying that the Prophet ﷺ cursed the women who visit the graveyards so it in essence abrogated the earlier permissibility that is a possibility it is possible that initially women were allowed to go but then this hadith came about saying that the Prophet ﷺ cursed those women who go and therefore it abrogated the earlier ruling and so the final ruling is women cannot go to the graveyards. There is one issue though. Some scholars they say it is permissible and it is allowed for women to go to the graveyards occasionally. And that is because of another narration where it says Instead of za'irat, zuwarat. Uh, the, the curse is upon the women who regularly visit the graves. And so the scholars, they say, that's the hadith which specifies this one. It is the women who regularly visit the graveyards that are cursed. So if a woman went once in a blue moon, then it would be allowed according to some scholars. If a woman went every now and again on the odd occasion and she's fully covered everything can control herself emotionally every now and again then it would be allowed according to some scholars every now and again but regularly haram completely agreed upon a woman cannot regularly go to the graveyards on the odd occasion that's what some scholars say other scholars they say absolutely a woman does never ever step foot into a graveyard. Women don't go into the graveyard. That is only upon their own death that they are going to be taken there. Otherwise, they do not go into graveyards. So you have two opinions on that issue there. Next one mentions. La'ana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam cursed Anna'iha Anna'iha is the person who screams and shouts and loses control of themselves at the death of someone screaming and shouting and saying all types of things why did it have to happen to him and why this and why that and screaming and shouting and pulling your hair going crazy like that it's haram in Islam it's a major sin 
When somebody dies to behave in that way, screaming, shouting, losing it, is a major sin. It is not permissible. Here it mentions the Prophet wasallam cursed the women who go into that frenzy, become frantic, lose all of their emotions at the death of someone. It is haram to behave in that way. There's a hadith which mentions لَيْسَ مِنَّا مَنْ لَطَمَ الْخُدُودِ وَشَقَّ الْجُيُوبِ وَدَعَابِدَعُ الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ Not from amongst us is the one who strikes his cheeks and tears his clothes and wails why me and why did this happen and why did he die and the type of person who behaves with those characteristics when someone dies, hitting themselves and tearing their clothes and screaming and wailing, then that is a major sin. Because the Prophet ﷺ just said, Laysa minna. Not from amongst us is the one who does these things. And whenever the Prophet ﷺ says, Not from amongst us is the one who does X, Y, and Z, it means that's a major sin what they're doing. So, wailing at the death of someone. It is a major sin. Why? Because it indicates you are not being patient upon the decree of Allah. Indicates that you have fallen into a state of uh, losing your hope in Allah, losing your trust in Allah, losing your patience upon the decree. And they are all things which are not befitting of a Muslim. So it is something haram and it is something they used to do in jahiliyyah. It is something they used to do in Jahiliyyah. So that is not permissible. Uh, also, it mentions that Al-Mustami'ah, that is the one who sits and listens to somebody wailing. If somebody has lost it at the death of someone wailing and screaming and shouting and doing all those things and you're sat there allowing this to carry on and listening to it it mentions in this narration the impermissibility for you to do that if you sit there and allow her to carry on in this screaming and shouting and frenzy, then it's as though you're allowing it and affirming it and you're not stopping it, you're not doing anything, you're just sat there allowing her to carry on, let her be, let her be. Then you're allowing her and encouraging her to carry on. You're encouraging her to carry on in a way, you're not preventing her, stopping her, nothing. And that is the person who actually sits there and allows this to carry on and, and listens to it. As for just hearing somebody doing it and you don't intend to hear that and you don't intend to allow them to carry on, that's not being meant here. But people who are there, they can see what's going on, somebody's going crazy, the woman is losing it, everybody else sat there, let her be, let her be, then this is impermissible from them. It's impermissible from them to allow her to carry on behaving in that way and screaming and shouting in that way. Then also...
the hadith of Umm Atiyah radiyallahu anha qalat akhadha alayna rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam alla nanuha hadith in al-Bukhari muslim that the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam took our pledge upon us that we will not do this niyaha this wailing and screaming and shouting and losing all hope at the death of somebody the Prophet ﷺ took our pledge upon it that we will not do that from the women. Of course, the men, same ruling, you're not allowed to do that. But it would be women particularly who fall into that. So in this narration, Umm Atiyah, she says, the Prophet ﷺ took a pledge upon us that we will not do that. We will not fall into that screaming and shouting and frenzy at the death of an individual. So this indicates the impermissibility of that. Then also Ibn Umar radiyallahu anhuma anin nabi sallallahu sallam qal Al-mayyitu yu'adhabu fi qabrihi bima niha alayhi This hadith indicates and it says that if you go into that frenzy and you lose it at the death of someone that person will get punished in their grave because of you losing it at their death. That's what the hadith mentions. That the person, the deceased, will be punished in their grave because of this craziness, people losing their emotions, screaming, shouting, wailing. If people do that, he will be punished in his grave for it, it says. So the hadith indicates that the harm of this action of losing it and going crazy and behaving like the way of jahiliyyah, wailing and all sorts, the harm of that ends up upon the deceased too. That's what the narration indicates. This shows that the, the badness of that, it reaches the person in the grave too. Not just the people doing it. And so it indicates that the punishment of the grave occurs indicates that the punishment of the grave occurs. The question is though, somebody loses it and they go into these major sins and the deceased person is going to be punished for it. Islamically, is that how things work? No. So what does it mean here? Why is the deceased person going to burden the sin of somebody else. And Allah said in the Quran, وَلَا تَزِرُ أُخْرَى You do not take the blameworthiness or the sin of anybody else. So how can somebody else's sin go upon you and you get the punishment in the grave? That's what the hadith is saying very clearly, Bukhari Muslim. The scholars, they gave some explanations regarding this. As to what could this mean? Some of the scholars they said, من العلماء من أنكر هذا الحديث وقال إنه يتعارض مع الآية الكريمة ومنهم عائشة أم المؤمنين فإنها تنكر مثل هذا الحديث لأنه يتعارض مع الآية كيف يعذب الإنسان بعمل غيره والله جل وعلا يقول ولا تزر وازرة وزر أخرى ولا شك أن هذا الرأي ليس بشيء لأن الحديث ثابت عن الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم فلا مجال لرده some of the scholars, they said this hadith cannot be accepted because it is clearly 
conflicting with the ayah that says you will not take the blame of anybody else's wrongs. So some scholars, they refuse to accept this hadith. It's mentioned even Aisha radiallahu anha rejected this hadith or, or did not accept it as something authentic. But, but the reality is the hadith is something that Imam al-Bukhari has mentioned, Imam Muslim has mentioned, it is an established hadith. So that opinion, to just say that the hadith is not acceptable, it's not that easy. Because the hadith is acceptable, it is authentic, it's in Bukhari, it's in Muslim. So you need some different type of answer maybe. So another answer some scholars gave is that the deceased will end up getting punishment for the niyaha, the wailing and the screaming and the losing it that the people do upon his death. If he was a person, he or she was a person who acknowledged and accepted this type of behavior. If he was outside and somebody else was dead, he'd be doing it himself. If he was a person who acknowledged and accepted this type of behavior, and wanted this type of behavior, he himself would do that type of behavior. He was desiring of it. He's happy with it. He's that type of person. That's what he would be. Then he'll get the punishment of it when people are doing it upon him. Because he himself is somebody who is pleased with that to occur upon his grave. So if he's the type of person who wanted people to do that, and you might think who's going to do that, but of course many people, some of the heads of the Sufis, that's exactly what they want. When one of their heads dies, and everybody's screaming and shouting, and they've lost it, and they're wailing, they want to see that. Because then they say, look, this shows the great imamship of how big this imam of ours was. How much of a wali of Allah was, look at the people, how they are at his grave. So if the person is pleased, if he's somebody who is pleased with the people to do this type of thing upon his grave, he actually wanted that after his death, then he'll get the punishment for his intention of wanting that in the first place. That is what some of the scholars have said the meaning of this hadith could be. That if you wail and scream upon the grave of somebody, he'll get the punishment for it if he was somebody who desired this on his grave. That is opinion number two. It could also even be more than that. It could be that the person even said to them in his will, do this wailing upon my grave when I die. That is clear then that he wanted it. So the second opinion here is that the meaning of the hadith is only the people who wanted and desired that this wailing should occur upon their graves and they'll get the punishment if it does occur upon their graves. The third opinion is that the meaning of the hadith, the hadith which mentions here now with the wording, Al-Mayyit yu'adhab fi qabrihi bima alayhi. The deceased person is punished by the wailing and the screaming that occurs upon his grave. Third opinion the scholars have said is, they've said you have misunderstood the meaning of him being punished. It doesn't mean punished as in the punishment of the grave. It means that he is internally being punished and feeling a great loss knowing that these people are wailing upon his grave. He knows it's wrong. He knows it shouldn't be happening. So he is now feeling a great degree of 
being torn up inside, knowing that these people are doing this upon his grave. That's the internal punishment he is experiencing, knowing this is something haram, but they're doing it on my grave. That's what some scholars have interpreted and explained this as. That if you wail upon this person's grave and scream and shout and behave like the juhal used to, then that person in the grave, he will be tormented inside. He will be tormented inside knowing that they shouldn't be doing this and they're doing it on my grave. Opposition to the Quran and the Sunnah. So he's being punished internally and being torn up internally knowing that this shouldn't be happening but it's happening. So that is possibly one meaning of it. So this opinion, opinion number three, it says it's not about the punishment of the grave that's been spoken about. It's internal punishment of that person and being torn up knowing that this is happening on his grave. So they are the three opinions. What is the best of them then? What is the authentic of them or the strongest of them? Sheikh Al-Fawzan says, this is one of those examples whereby you don't need to come to a conclusion as to what it is. These types of ahadith where there is a severe threat in them, there's a severe threat in that hadith now. You wail upon your deceased, he's going to get punished because of your wailing upon him. That's a severe threat. The Salaf, they used to have a way with narrations that have severe threats in them. They would leave them open on purpose. Why? As a warning. You leave it open. You say, look, if you wail upon the grave, he gets punished. Your beloved son will get punished if you wail upon his grave. So now that woman, that mother, will think twice. The family, the relatives, they'll maybe have something come into their minds now. We're going to end up punishing our beloved if we scream and shout. So the Salaf, when it came to certain texts that have threats in them, they would purposely just brush it and leave it as it is. Without explaining the details that it means this or that. Leave it a bit more broad and open to leave that threat open upon the people. So now with this one, the Shaykh says you don't need to explain to people it's this opinion or that or it means this, it interprets as that, it doesn't mean punishment of the grave. Because if you start telling them, okay, it doesn't mean punishment of the grave, it's just the internal torment of the person. So now, to some people, that may make it lighter. In that case, okay, it's not the punishment of the grave then. So you don't do that. The Salaf, they used to have a way with these narrations, leave it open. Leave it as the hadith says exactly the wording, the wailing of the people will cause punishment to the deceased. Leave it as it is like that. Let the people think that it could be that worst option that he's going to get punished. And that's why even when it came to narrations of minor shirk, there are many ayat in the Qur'an that are talking about minor shirk. A hadith that are referring to minor shirk. The Salaf, when they used to talk about them, they never used to specify in particular. Sometimes they may see somebody doing an act of minor shirk. This is noted from the Salaf. They may see somebody doing an act of minor shirk, and they would of course refute that person and make inkar, rebut and rebuke that person for his act of minor shirk that he was doing but the evidences they would give him to rebuke him and refute him would be evidences that are actually evidences for major shirk even though they knew he was only doing minor shirk they would give him evidences 
that were actually applicable to major shirk, not minor. Even though they knew he was doing minor. Why? To give him the full force of the threat of shirk. That even though right now it might be minor shirk what you're doing, they would give him the full force of the major shirk ayat and the threats to give him a full-blown recognition of this act that he's doing is completely haram. They would do that. Minor shirk, they would refute it using the ayat and the evidences of major shirk. So that it really comes down upon the person what he's doing is terribly wrong and a threat is upon him. So that is the way of the Salaf and the Shaykh says with this type of thing that's what we say. He says that's what we say. If anybody asks us, we say that's what the hadith says and that's how we leave it. Allahu alam, which one of these opinions is correct? It just says you wail and scream upon the deceased, he gets punished for it. That's what the hadith in Bukhari and Muslim says. That is the threat. So if you want to take it seriously, stop your wailing. Don't look for explanations and why and this and that. You stop it, it's haram. So that is the way uh, that the Salaf used to behave with some of these affairs. We'll have to round off on that one for today then. Uh, and we'll carry on with it inshallah ta'ala next week at the same time. In fact, next week then will be the final session on this. It is the end of the chapter next week. A few more hadith to go. So we'll round off the chapter next week then inshallah. The final few narrations on the chapter of funerals. Uh, same time again inshallah 6.30 p.m. 6.45 p.m. So we'll conclude there for tonight. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين.